If you could turn to John 11. Uh, We'll be looking at uh, verses 38 through 44. All right. Hear the word of, of the Lord. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was laid against it. Jesus said, Take the stone away. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Let's pray. Father, according to the riches of your glory, grant that we would be strengthened with power through the Spirit in our inmost being so that Christ may dwell in our hearts by faith, that we may be rooted and grounded in love, that we may have strength to comprehend the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled with the fullness of God. Accomplish this through the reading and preaching of your word this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. I was, can't remember when it was. I knew I had graduated from high school, and at this point I was living in my parents' home. I know one of those single people who never leaves, right? Um, <clears throat> and I was, so I was upstairs, and my dad was working on something. I think he was trying to do something with the ceiling fan. And instead of getting, I think, a ladder, I think he got a chair. Yeah, you know where this is going, don't you? So I hear this humongous thud from downstairs. But instead of hearing Steve, Steve, I hear Elaine, my mother's name. No help was going to come to him calling that name. (laughs) Because my mother was nowhere to be found. She was out somewhere else. And there are times when we call upon Someone to help us, and it's someone who can't help us. Fortunately, I didn't say, he's not calling me. (laughs) So he got a little bit of help. Fortunately, my father was fine. But sometimes our circumstances are far more dire, and we have to be careful to whom we call. I think that sets us up a little bit as we look at this, because we see that Jesus helps us by giving us new life. Let's start with the idea, the reality, 
that our feeble faith falters at God's glory. We see again, as we saw Thursday night, that Jesus is deeply moved as he approaches the tomb. And as we considered that word, uh, we saw that, that while it is vague in the translation, it's not as vague. It really deals with the idea of agitation. He's angry. Because death and sin are contrary to God's plan. He hates what they have done to us. And so Jesus, as he moves near to the throne, is angry. We talked about the snorting horse and the snorting bull and Hulk Hogan. But I want a different picture in your mind today. Tomorrow is opening day. So I want you to picture someone like Goldsmith waiting for the pitch to come in that moment when the game is on the line and sort of, I'm I'm lefty, so I feel completely awkward doing this, Um, but kind of digging in, waiting for that pitch. Jesus is digging in. He's ready to act. He's not feeling anger for no reason. It's not just going to dissipate, but he's digging in to do something to do something far beyond what they could have asked or imagined. And it's going to surprise them. The four-day dead Lazarus is entombed in a cave, most likely in a hill, though sometimes they put it just in the ground and would cover it with a stone. But by the way that John talks about it, it seems to be more in a hill, similar to where Jesus was buried. And Jesus comes and he says, take away the stone. And here we see that Martha, who just moments earlier had made this amazing confession of faith. I have believed that you are the Son of God, sorry, the Christ, the Son of God, whom he has sent. So she made that amazing confession of faith, but now she questions. You see, she didn't quite understand exactly what Jesus said when he spoke of the resurrection. We see this because she's concerned about the smell of a rotting corpse, as if all Jesus wants to do is to see his friend in the tomb. Oftentimes, confessions of faith lead us to crises of faith. Our bold confession is often followed by a time of questioning, a time in which we initially resist God's will, just as Mary is here. Just think of Peter who confessed, like Mary, that he is the Christ, he's the Son of God. And then days later, when Jesus is telling about his coming death and his coming resurrection, Peter says, no, Lord, forbid it. It can't be that way. To which Jesus has to say, get behind me, Satan. And so oftentimes when we when we we have this grand confession of our faith which is valid Peter didn't lie Martha didn't lie they really believed these things yet 
God comes to, we come to a crisis of faith where we see that our vision of God is still too small. That's where she is. Still too small. And so Jesus reminds her, we're not sure about the tone, whether it was sharp, whether it was gentle, we don't know. Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Now, if you look up, you don't see those exact words. He didn't say that. He's summarizing essentially what he had said to her when he declared that he was the resurrection and the life. That he who believed in him would not die. But what I want us to remember is that there's a contrast here between the feebleness of her faith and the greatness of God's glory that's about to be revealed to her. Despite, or actually because of, the feebleness of her faith. Even the strongest faith is feeble faith. All of us have a mixture of faith and unbelief. Think of the man in Mark 9 whose son was taken over by a demon. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help. My unbelief. And so we all have that mixture. We believe to a degree if we're Christians. If we're not Christians, we don't believe to any degree. Okay, But as Christians... We believe to a degree, and yet we don't believe all the way, so to speak. We still struggle because of indwelling sin with the fact that there are things we have trouble trusting God with. That's what's going on in Mary's heart right now. God's glory often calls us in a way that exceeds the boundaries of our faith. But thankfully, God is not limited by the boundaries of our faith. God did, Jesus did not say, Whoa, Martha, you don't believe I can do this? I guess I won't. He's not limited by the feebleness and the finite dimensions of her faith, but he's about to expand them beyond where they currently exist. And so God wants our feeble faith to grow precisely as we discover that He's greater than we ever imagined. In the movie Unbreakable, which is um, M. Night Shyamalan's, I hope I pronounced his name right, superhero movie, Bruce Willis' character is a superhero but doesn't know it. He has an incredible power that he doesn't understand. And so he lifts weights in his basement on a regular basis. And one day his son decides that he wants to see how great his father's strength is. And so he sticks some more on there. And Willis is surprised. He can lift it. And they keep adding weight. Adding weight. The bar is starting to bend, and Bruce Willis's character is still able to push this weight out. He wants us to show his greatness, to see his greatness. He invites us, in a sense, to put more weight on it. 
that we might see how truly great he is. That we should not be content with the small things for which we are willing to trust God, but we hold those big things to ourselves as though we can take care of those. You know? He calls us to trust through greater and greater trials and afflictions. And so God's going to challenge you, challenge your faith in Him, and say, will you trust me with this? In addition to what you have already trusted me with. Will you trust me in the delays of life? I have a PhD in waiting. I've, I've been, like, I've been waiting most of my life, you know. Had to wait after seminary to get into the ministry. Had to wait seemingly forever to get married. Had to wait to have children. A lot of waiting. I still have to learn to trust him with the delay as we think about how long it's taking this building to get ready, right? Okay? You have delays. Will you trust him with those delays? You have losses. Will you trust him with your losses, or do you think they're just too great for him to deal with? It could be the loss of a loved one. It could be the loss of mobility. It could be the loss of memory. There's all kinds of losses that we experience. The loss of a job. The loss of a child. And he says, will you trust me with this loss? Will you trust me not just with losses and delays, but affliction. And a pain that doesn't go away. Long hospital stays. All of these things. Will you trust me in these things? God is not put off by our feeble faith, but He works to gain greater glory and to grow our faith. Secondly, God's glory is precisely in sending the Son to give life to the dead. What is this glory that she and the others are about to see? It's the proof that the Father sent the Son. That Jesus has been sent by the Heavenly Father to do these things. Jesus prays. Not for himself, but he says, for their benefit. (laughs) So they know what's going on here. This is a little strange in a sense because we're, you know, Jesus tells people not to, you know, pray so that they can be seen by everybody and they've gotten their reward if they do. This is not about that. He's not trying to gain a reward. He's trying to instruct people even in his prayers in this instance. Okay? He says, You heard me. Not, you hear me. This seems to indicate that he's already prayed about this. That he's already kind of gotten an answer. He's talked to the Father. Because remember that the Son only does that which he sees the Father doing. Jesus is not a maverick son. He's not kind of doing his own thing, but he's living in complete and utter submission to his Father. And so it makes sense to say, Father, can I do this? 
Father, will you let me? He's already prayed. He's already gotten the answer. And so the resurrection of Lazarus here is a result of Jesus' prayer to the Father on his behalf. We should be thinking again of Peter. Luke 23, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you return, strengthen your brothers. And so the fact that Peter is not completely destroyed by Satan's activity is a direct result of the intercession of the Son. And he reminds Peter what he needs to do when he comes back, which means Peter's going to go through some bad things that he will regret. He's going to deny Jesus three times before the the cock crows. But when you come back, in other words, you're not like Judas, who was lost for all time. You will come back because I have interceded for you. And so we see that the Father always hears the sons and always grants what the Son wants, but one time. In the Garden of Gethsemane, if there be any way, any other way, but even then the Son said, not my will, but yours be done. There is a sense in which Jesus did not want to go to the cross. It was an act of obedience to the Father that he went. That was the one time the Father did not grant the will of his Son. Now, the purpose. Why is he praying about these things? But that they may believe that you sent me. He wants the people who are listening to connect what's about to happen, which they have no idea what's about to happen. But they may connect that with his prayer and thereby know that he indeed is who he's been saying he is. The eternal son sent by the father to accomplish a mission. And so the raising of Lazarus is proof that Jesus is sent to save sinners. Let's not think that this is merely about Jesus having the power to raise the dead and deciding that I miss my friend Lazarus and so I'm going to raise him. It's pointing to something bigger. It's a sign. It's the last sign in this gospel. And so it's pointing to that bigger thing, which is the salvation of sinners. It's pointing, as we saw in Ezekiel, to the these dead bones rising again. It's pointing, as we read about from Ephesians chapter 2, that we who were dead in sins and trespasses, who were obedient to the power, the prince of the power of the air, that those people he makes alive in Christ. So this is not just about Lazarus. This is about you and me and the millions, billions of Christians 
who have followed this event. His physical death and physical resurrection point us to spiritual death and sins and trespasses and spiritual life being made alive in Christ Jesus. Okay? It's not a metaphor. Okay? It really happened. I'm just saying it points us to something greater than itself. Why is this important? 1 Corinthians 15 As I mentioned the other night, Paul's sort of magna opus on the resurrection reminds us that if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. The question of whether or not Jesus can raise the dead is not an academic question, brothers and sisters. It is at the core of what we believe. It is an essential truth of what we believe. Because if Jesus can't do this, he can't save us. We remain in our sins and trespasses. So, do you believe that Jesus can give spiritual life to even the most hardened sinner? Do you believe that Jesus can give life to you? The Westminster Confession in talking about assurance, mentions that there are times when we don't have assurance. And those times typically coincide when the the Father kind of may give us over to the desires of our hearts, which are not good desires. There are times when we think we're too far gone We need to remember there is no pit too deep that the hand of God can't reach down and get you. There is no sin, aside from the sin of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, there is no sin so great that the blood of Christ cannot cover it. Because you have an enemy who is, cons- who is sold out to telling you that lie all the time. So that you think, I've now done this sin 433 times. I may have exhausted His mercy and patience. No, brothers and sisters. No. We cannot exhaust His mercy and His patience if we are truly in Him. We need 
faith in a bigger Jesus. Precisely because we live in a creature, uh, culture that is increasingly going crazy <laughs> and astray. We're getting back to Corinth. We're not there yet. You think it's bad? Corinth was worse. God could save people in Corinth. He can save sinners in America. Surely. I'm reminded of the words of Jack Miller. Cheer up, church. You're worse than you think you are. <laughs> Cheer up. Christ is greater than you think he is. So God receives glory as Redeemer and Savior by sending his Son to give us life. Thirdly, I want us to see that Jesus speaks the dead to life. The tomb is opened. There's no movement. There's plenty of odor. Okay? Four days dead. This is a decomposing body. Now, they've put some, they probably put some spices onto the body to kind of like deodorize it a little bit, but four days decomposition has set in. This is not pretty. Okay? He's not moving. If, if you were trapped in a tomb for four days and you were alive, you would probably make some motion if the stone was moved to get out. Even a... Okay. There's, a there's sort of the idea that... And part of what Jesus... Not all of what Jesus is doing, but He's showing them He's dead. There's no movement. He's not in a coma because people in a coma don't smell like that. He's dead. So part of it so they might realize exactly what is happening. When they buried people, they had a long linen cloth which would usually go over the body, okay, over and under the body, and they would bind the hands and the feet by linen straps. Why? It's not going to move. It's in a tomb. There's no wind to blow it off. So we're not exactly sure why they felt compelled to bind the hands and the feet. But nonetheless, they did. Okay? And Jesus cries out, similar to when the Father cried out, let there be light. He says, Lazarus, Come out! Now, this is not like the raising of the dead that we see in the, the ministry of, of Elisha and Elijah. Historically, swip there. What are they doing? They lay on top of the bodies. They blow into the body's mouths. There's physical contact that takes place. We're not sure exactly how God raises those little boys, but he does. In this instance, it's Jesus merely by divine fiat. Come out. And he does. <laughs> he comes out. It was like, 
Time has been turned back. The decay was turned back. It didn't just stop, but it went in reverse. Life was restored to this dead man, and he stumbles out. But remember, this is not like the mummy movies, you know. The dragging foot. They always have the dra- they gotta have the dragging foot. I don't know why they have the dragging foot, but they, you know, the one drag, and the one arm that sort of, it's like the mummy's paralyzed on one side. I'm not sure what's going on, you know, but they got the strong hand that can strangle you. Okay. This is, this is more like, he's hopping out. Because he's bound. Okay. And it's, there is a sense in which it's almost comical. God has a sense of humor. Okay. But the reality is that John 5 is fulfilled initially. This is an, an initial fulfillment of John 5, but that will, there's a much greater one that's coming on the last day. But Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here. When the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear it will live. The dead, Lazarus, heard the voice of the Son of God from wherever he was, and he lived. Now, this is like, but not like, Jesus' resurrection. It's like it in that we have a similar sort of tomb, uh, you know, a cave in the side of a hill, a stone that has been rolled there, the same kind of grave clothes, but it is not like Lazarus in that Jesus laid down his life Lazarus didn't. It was taken from him. Jesus also took it back up again. There was no human being involved, whereas Lazarus had his restored by Jesus. Jesus removed his own grave clothes, and he didn't need the stone rolled away because he had a new body. The stone was for the women, not for him. This stone was moved presumably by the men who were at part of the mourning party, so that Lazarus could get out. Okay. Remember what I said when we first introduced Lazarus? What his name was? Eliezer. Okay. Son of Aaron. One of the famous Eliezers. There's some not-so-famous Eliezers as well in the Old Testament. God has helped me. That's what it means. The Son of God has helped Lazarus. His name is, in a sense, a fulfillment of prophecy. Okay, or a prophecy, rather. And this action is a fulfillment of that prophecy. He's restored his life. How has he helped you? If you are in Christ, he has given you new life. He has helped you by making you alive in him. But God has helped you. You are, in a sense, a Lazarus. Now let's note a couple things. We actually have time. This is a what we would call, remember, uh, you know, we're looking at this from 21st century eyes, not their eyes. We would, and the, technically, we would call this a resuscitation, not a resurrection. They didn't use that same sort of terminology then. Okay, And I say it's resuscitation because has anyone seen Lazarus today? Have you 
Have you heard the tale of the man that's been alive for 2,000 years? No. He died again. Resurrection is permanent. Okay, that's why I'm saying resuscitation. Okay, but this is not, as I said, this is not sort of, uh, you know, my wife knows CPR. This is not someone here in the congregation has a heart attack. Amy runs over, gives CPR. Mike Pixley runs back and gets our defibrillator and, oh, they're alive. Oh, we're so happy. Four days dead. The defib and the CPR aren't going to help. So this is like the most radical resuscitation that you can imagine possible. But he'd die again. And then he would participate in the resurrection. Are you a curious soul? How many of you kind of go, so where was he for four days? Yes. If ever there was someone who could write the book four days in heaven or four days in Sheol, we don't know. Because it's not about that. It's about Christ. Where Lazarus was, while it may interest us and pique our curiosity, is not the point. Okay. But I imagine if it was four days in heaven, he might have been a little unhappy to come back. It probably was heaven. Because like his sisters, he believed that Jesus was the Messiah. Okay. John does not worry about our curiosity. He's drilling deep on the glory of the Father and in the Son. And in thinking about this, A.W. Pink notes, how can any sheep of his ever perish when held in such a hand? He's thinking back of what Jesus said in chapter 10. If he can raise the dead, What's our financial problems compared to that? What are our relational issues compared to that? We're secure in his hand. Very secure in his hand. And so, is your, or could your name be Eliezer, Lazarus? Has God helped you? The Father sent the Son to gain glory by helping Sinners dead in sins and trespasses by giving them life through the proclamation of the gospel. And so let's trust this God who can raise the dead to give life to sinners we know. Let's trust this God who helped us to keep us by His mighty hand to keep us in the midst of our delays, our sorrows and losses, our afflictions.
for he is able. More than able. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for you by the Spirit moving John to write this account of the raising of Lazarus so that we might again see the greatness of Jesus, a greatness that um, can confound us because it is so far beyond our experience. It is beyond what science says can happen. That we might trust You. That we might see the particular greatness of Jesus in the saving of sinners. Thank You for sending Your Son. Thank You that He came to save sinners of whom we are the worst. Help us to trust Him in the midst of those things that plague our souls, that cause us anxiety and fear. Help us to rest in Him whose arms are strong, whose grasp is long. And we ask this in His name. Amen.